As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. I'm Adam Ward, and this is Here at Haas, a student-run podcast connecting you to all Haasies and the faculty that change our lives. This week on Here at Haas, we are joined by Bob Wang, EW MBA class of 2023, a VP of Finance at Traction Guest, and a VP for the Careers Management Group in the EW MBA Association. Welcome to the show, Bob. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show and happy to be here. Awesome. How are you doing today? Good, good. Excited to be here, share my story, and yeah, good to be here. Well, awesome. I know there's a lot to talk about. When I was reading off your introduction, I was like, wow, this man does a lot. So let's just dive into it, Bob. And would love if you could just kick off this conversation with a little bit about yourself and how you got to Haas. Yeah, that's a long story right there. I'll try to keep it short. High level, I actually, I was born in China, but most of my childhood, I actually spent in Czech Republic in Prague. And so during that time, actually, my first language was Czech because I spoke it every day. And then I moved to Canada in 2001, Vancouver, Canada, and all the Czech that I knew because with language, (laughs) you don't don't use it, you lose it. So that was an interesting journey. And we went there because my parents had a business. They started from nothing. They got an opportunity to leave China, to go to Germany, and then start a business in Czech Republic because they had a friend there. And that was a really important period of my life because I saw the joy, the difficulty, the challenge, and the reward of running a business. And I, they weren't there for me for every moment of the day, but they were there for moments that mattered. And what was the most important is that they were an example for me. Mm-hmm. They showed me that entrepreneurship is, is risky, but not unmanageable. They showed me that hard work can be rewarding and it could be life-changing. And they really just brought us out of poverty. And that was amazing. And I don't want to waste that. I want to stand on their shoulders mm-hmm. and um, go even farther. So that was always with me. And I went to school for accounting because I thought accounting was the language of business and I want to start a business someday. So it was a course that I enjoyed and, and did well and eventually went into that field. I started my career at KPMG and there I saw an opportunity where there was a underserved market. I've always wanted to start a business and I thought, oh, this is great. I have no responsibilities, like no dependence. I'm just going to go for it. And during that time, that summer, my grandparents passed away and they left me an inheritance. And I thought the point of inheritance isn't to go and spend it on fun things. I think they left me an inheritance to give me a leg up to sort of here you go and take a risk that you wouldn't have done before. So that gave me the courage to, to leave my safe, secure job, start a business. And that eventually grew. <laughs> the business was called Legacy Advantage. It was a accounting professional services business. And that it was really great. We grew it from zero to 30 people and, and eventually got acquired by Deloitte. And uh, yeah, I guess what brought me to house is that I have this entrepreneurship experience that I really enjoyed. But I want to learn how to run a larger and larger business, 100-person business, 1,000-person business, 10,000-person business. And there are different skill sets that I would need along the way. So that's why I chose Haas. 
Bob, that's a lot to unpack. From Czech Republic to Vancouver, we've got a lot to talk about today. I would like to kick off actually with a little bit about Legacy Advantage, the company that you started. A lot of people listening will want to go down the entrepreneurial route, and I'd be interested in your thoughts from that experience. Yeah, I think I, I learned a lot from it. it. It was definitely a challenge to start, and it was scary. In fact, when I told my friends that I was going to start this business, they initially said they wanted to join me, but when it came time, they all said, no, I'd rather stick to my safe, secure <laughs> job. So that is a very normal reaction and it's definitely normal. But I chose to take the plunge because I had a bit of money saved up and I had no dependents. I wanted to just give it a try and I saw an opportunity and the opportunity is really that book, the bookkeeping industry was very, very manual and it was unregulated. And what, what ended up happening is that the, the bookkeeping product had a lot of errors, which then the accountants had to spend time and fix. So what was weird is that the business owner actually had to pay for the bookkeeping to be done twice. One mm. somewhat accurately done by the bookkeeper and then once again by the accountants to fix it out. So there was inefficiencies there. And with cloud technology, you can finally make this very manual, uh, in a way, high volume business profitable. So that's what I did. I created a services business specialized in the bookkeeping aspect that was able to, you know, employ high professionals and use technology to increase their efficiency so that my team members were 1.5 to two times more um, productive than my competitors at the time. So that that's really what made our company special. And we grew from zero to 30 people from, you know, zero to a couple million dollars. It was then acquired by Deloitte. And that was a really great learning experience. I think what was the best is that I had to learn to be the CEO, the CMO, the CHR. Like I had to do everything. Right. I didn't know anything about marketing, digital ads, hiring people. And as an entrepreneur, you have to like, just learn it. You have to see it. It's okay. I don't know what it, what it is I'm doing. I'm just going to watch a ton of YouTube videos, read articles <laughs> and just like learn about it. So that's, that was a great. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the idea of you watching YouTube videos as you're trying to run this company and get it all sorted. Yeah, man. That is exactly what I did. <laughs> I was doing a little research and I love this quote that you said around this experience, which was, in my perspective, entrepreneurship is the least risky thing you can do because you control all the aspects of how you want to run your life, innovate or what people you, you want to hire. And I think it's an interesting tension for people. You mentioned your friends who were like, I want to stay in my stable job. How do you, what have you learned about risk and entrepreneurship? I would love if you could expand on the quote that you gave in that interview. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I mentioned before, but in my mind, like entrepreneurship is not about taking on risk. It's mm -hmm. about managing risk, learning how to mitigate risk. There is a lot of risk, sure, but it's not like you go and seek it. Entrepreneurs, they, they try their best to mitigate it as much as possible. And the way I view it is that with entrepreneurship, if you start a business, you really have control over everything. Mm -hmm. You And I think the most important part is like you control who you work with. You hire your team, you pick your partner. And in a way, that's almost the most important thing. The most important thing. Mm -hmm. You spend eight, 10, you know, 12 hours a day starting your business, and you better you work with. And then in terms of whether or not you have a job, and no one can fire you if you're the owner of the business. If you make a mistake and lose a customer, whoops, you know, let's get a new one. Whereas if you mess up in a big company, like your, your future is not certain. The other part is your financial security. Let's say next year, I want to put my kid through a private school. I need to make more money. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll hustle this year. 
so I can make more next year. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a company, you may or may not get a raise. It's really not up to you. So that you have way more control over, I would say, the important aspects of your life. That's interesting. And to pull on that, I'd love your thoughts and maybe examples of delegation because you talked about the it seems like from what you said and feel free to disagree that the number one important thing you can do as an entrepreneur to minimize that risk is have good people because you work with them so often but then you also talk about like you being in control and being in control of like lots of things but as soon as you hire people you're not necessarily in control <laughs> of everything so how did you manage in that company that tension between wanting to control certain things delegating things that you needed to do like how did you approach that and what did you learn about delegation in general that's a good question. I struggle with that for sure. I struggled to go. And I think what really made the difference is I joined an organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. And they are essentially a mentorship peer group of fellow entrepreneurs that help each other. And every peer group is assigned a mentor and the mentor encourages you to go outside of your comfort zone. And the advice that I got is that if you can delegate the work and it's done 80%, 75% as good as you can do it yourself, then you should do it. Because mm -hmm. otherwise you won't, you won't skip. The other reason why I was able to go is that I really have a passion for developing leaders. Mm -hmm. I think I, I love training and seeing the people on my team grow to become the best version of themselves. And the only way that's possible is to delegate. And not just delegate the task, but like, delegate responsibility mm -hmm. and ownership. Say, hey, you own this now. I'm really scared, but I trust you. <laughs> you watch me do it once, right? And then you do it and report back to me and then so on and so forth. And, and that was great. Like my team members really thrive and I've picked people that are in a way stronger than me that are way more entrepreneurial. They entrepreneurial in the sense that they are excited to try new things. Mm -hmm. They are innovators in, the, in their own sense. They bring ideas to me as opposed to me pushing ideas down. And that's mm -hmm. great because that we need to tap into the collective intelligence, the best version of ourselves. So I think what really helped me overcome is belief that everyone has a lot of potential and mm -hmm. I'm here to untap and unleash it. And uh, just have some faith that if they don't do it 100% to your standard, it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And to, to, to stick with this idea of getting the best people, I'd love just any brass tacks or tactics or advice that you had or learned about hiring. Like what hiring process would you put people through? What skills were you looking for? Like how did you approach that to get the best people that you possibly could? Yeah. So with an accounting firm, there is a baseline level of skill. Mm -hmm. that you need. Otherwise, you can't do the job. We did a skills test so that they at least have the baseline. Over and above that, it's all about values and fit and whether or not they believe in our mission mm -hmm. and whether or not they believe they can succeed. So one of the hurdles that I actually put into the hiring process into our company structure is we differentiated from our competitors by how we pay our team members. Mm -hmm. So we have, so typically accountants get paid you know, either hourly or salary what's weird about that is in a way you actually get paid more by doing less because your salary is fixed. So mm -hmm. ethics aside, there's no reason, there's no incentive for you to do the same job quicker because why would you? <laughs> Whereas if you're paid a commission or sort of you share the revenues that you're serviced and all of a sudden you're incentivized to do the same work quicker and take on more work. And that's, that's where the 
innovation in software really helped. So what I did is I, I paid our staff a low salary and then I shared anywhere between 10 to 30% of revenues that they serviced. And that was a huge mental barrier for a lot of people that were wanted to join our team. As soon as they heard that, you're either, you're one of two camps. One is, oh, shoot, I don't like the risk. Or, oh, you know what? I don't really believe I can earn, make a lot of money under this model. And mm -hmm. then they drop out. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we had these superstars that said, oh, 20, 20%. Oh my gosh, I can make so much more right. because I believe in my own effort and I believe in my own capabilities and I can win here. In a normal traditional accounting firm, if you are the best, you, are, you maybe get paid 15% more than the lowest of low performers. But in this firm, you know, if you're the best performer can earn twice as much mm -hmm. as the lowest. And that is how it should be, I think. So by changing our compensation structure, I'm aligning what type of a performer I want in my business. That's super interesting. It sounds I'm already getting flashbacks to us being in a case study of in leading people or <laughs> one of the articles that we read around because you've talked so much about inspiring, leadership, delegating, how you incentivize people, all these different sorts of things. And this kind of ties to my question about Haas and your first year, because you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why you wanted to come to Haas was to broaden your skill set and engage and, and just learn all the different things that you needed to. And given that we're just about to start the second year, what have you learned in the first year that has helped you or that you needed? Because there'll be people listening who are thinking about applying to MBA. And I just love if your kind of thoughts on, on that question. Yeah. So one thing, one of the things I mentioned is that as a CEO of a small business, you actually did everything. And everything that I did was surface law. I did a little bit of everything just enough so that I knew what I was doing to make us successful, but I didn't really go deep. And I think if I wanted to elevate and go into the C-suite, I really need to go deep and learn what's like to manage a hundred, ten, you know, thousand, 10,000 employee business. And I think there's nuance there. There's a, there's the difference between managing a small business and, and a large business. You know, what I want to get, enough, get out of Haas is the depth in each subject matter, is the learning from all of my peers that come from different levels and different sizes of organizations mm -hmm. and just perspective. So one of my favorite courses is microeconomics. Mm -hmm. I think that's great because it brings a global economic perspective, to everything I'm doing, all the decisions that I make. As a small business, my, my business, as a small business owner, sorry, my business was my world. Who cares what <laughs> happened, what happens in, in, in the currency market? Who cares what happens in what's happening in the housing market or the national debt or whatever, but it does impact my business and it does impact the long-term future of it. So now I'm the VP of finance of Traction Guest and everything I'm doing is, okay, the stock market's re reacting like this. It means the private equity market's doing that. It means these large companies are doing that. And that is so cool that I can go, go so much deeper and see all the connections in the economy. That is great. The other part is finance. It wasn't my favorite course, but I think it was very necessary and allowed me to go even deeper in what I'm doing today. I think it a lot gave me frameworks. It reminded me of all the things that I learned in undergrad and it reminded me that, okay, whatever, whatever I learned in undergrad, actually it does apply to real world <laughs> businesses and it does reply to businesses 
you know, that are small, but, but large too. And, and in fact, it's actually more important in large businesses because you need that rigor of analysis. So those are some examples where I was able to learn and, and go deeper and apply it into my day-to-day job. I completely agree. I think frameworks you talked about are super important. It's just sometimes things seem intuitive, but you might forget them. But if you have a framework, you'll bring it up straight away and use it straight away in your job. So I can definitely, I definitely agree with you there. And out of interest, why Haas? Why was Haas the the school that you applied to and came to? I think it was just a matter of convenience. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the short answer. I live in Vancouver, Canada. It's on the West Coast. And I'm at a place in my career where leaving my job to do an MBA for two years just didn't make financial sense. Mm -hmm. It's it's expensive and there's opportunity cost, right? So to me, the only options are the weekend programs where I could work and study at the same time. It came down to UCLA or Haas. And Haas is San Francisco, which is closer. The airport, SFOA port is much nicer. So all these factors played into Haas being the better choice. And all obviously it's a better school and all that kind of stuff. But I think logistics had a lot to do with it. Logistics are important. I, I don't blame you. We've all got lives to live. Let's not sugarcoat it. Um, and when you've been here, you've, I mentioned it in your intro, you applied and you were successful in becoming a VP of the Career Management Group in the EWMBA Student Association. And I would love to, I was actually on that interview, so I read that now, Uh, but I won't talk about, uh, but why did you want to run for that position? Yeah, this relates back to the mentality and the spirit of me starting my own business. You know, I saw a need and I wanted to do do something about it, to bring value to society, to um, bring value to our student body. And the need and the gap that I saw is that there isn't a lot of resources or mentorship or coaching or guidance for those that are already VP, senior directors, and they want to move on to the C-suite. So I'll expand on that a bit. CMG is really great. And it's really great for advancers, switchers, entrepreneurs even. But there is a this really small subset of advancers that have that trouble making that jump into the season, mm-hmm. right? And and the trouble is that there are not too many of us. And so, it, you know, in a way, it doesn't make sense for the ZMG to create a whole new program mm-hmm. just for a very small minority of the student body. But these people, and myself included, we exist. And, and our need is real. And uh, instead of waiting for the CMG to do something about it, I say, hey, we're just going to apply. <laughs> See what happens. If you like my idea, I'll do something about it. If they don't like my idea, all good. And so it turned out to be a very welcomed uh, addition to the student body. The, the, it, it's student run. It's not a formal CMG program, not yet, but it, it's great. We bring in speakers or rather we attend sessions of, of CEOs and CFOs and they talk about their journey on becoming a C-suite, making that, that jump. I think the jump is somewhat nebulous. It's not super clear. Mm-hmm. And so the more examples that we see of people making that jump, the more believable it is for us, mm-hmm. right? And my vision for Road to C-Suite is actually to see more bears in, in the C-Suite across the world. Let's, let's make that happen. I, I love that. Um, and it, you mentioned a small group, but actually a Slack group that you've created, Road to C-Suite, has got so many people involved. I love a couple of questions on this, but the first one is you've attended these uh conversations with C-level executives. What have you learned? What have been some of the things that you've learned since starting this group up? 
Yeah. The key thing is that there is no one way. And there's this balance of serendipity and skill and like hard skill. Sometimes you become a C-suite because you're lucky. <laughs> and other times, well, rather it's a combination of you have to be good enough for, the, for that moment to arise. And I think risk also has, a, has something to do with it. If you take a high risk project, if you leave your safe, secure job to go join a smaller startup, your chances increase with a smaller business. Then there's the other side where a person was at uh, Nike and Snap. They were there since the beginning. They were there for 10, 20 years. They succeeded the previous CFO. There's that too. So I think what, what I've learned is I just have to be patient, mm -hmm. do a good job with whatever I'm doing now and be okay with building a brand, promoting myself, and eventually hoping that some, someone somewhere will or recognize me, but also in the meantime, go talk to people, go network and mm -hmm. communicate your desire. Like I wish to be CFO someday. Mm -hmm. Just keep saying that. I wish to be a CEO of a business somewhere. And I think people, once you put it out there, universe starts to, to, to work with you, I think. And so that's, that's really great. The other part is working with recruiters. I think what I've learned from there is that first of all, there's, they're just regular recruiters and their executive, there's executive search, mm -hmm. right? They work different. And so with executive search is a much longer relationship. You have to say hello, establish relationships and keep them updated on your progress. Because the thing is they don't have a position for you right away, but they, but they make several months down the road. And so it's important to keep in touch, build that relationship. And there's a whole like segment on there's specialists and recruiters in terms mm. of geography industry. And you can, you know, go to bluesteps.com. We have a special rate as Haas students, and uh, you can search that uh, database for that segment of recruiters you want to talk to and start building that relationship. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of little things that you got to get and a lot of luck too. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's a lot of learnings. And I yeah. saw today, I actually signed up for it was the dream team program, which is part of the road to C-suite. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about that and how people can get involved if they want to. Yeah. So the road to C-suite is a Slack channel. It's not a club. It's just this informal thing that we put together. But I know that not everyone is at the same place. So I think we have 400 plus people in the, in the channel, but I, I, I think very few people are ready to take on a C-suite job today or even two years from now or even five years from now, but many are interested to observe. And so I wanted to create a small group or groups of three to four people where each of them are committed to doing something to move their career along quarter after quarter so that within the next two to five years, they are ready from a skill set perspective, from the network perspective to be a C-suite executive. And I think what's great about this peer mentorship group is that you don't have to be the CXO in order to keep your buddy, your friend, your colleague accountable. For example, I wanted to ex explore the turnaround industry. I want to be a turnaround executive. Mm. What does that look like? I, I know nothing about it. So then my commitment to the group is I will read a couple books on what it's like to be a turnaround executive and I will take a class. Then they need to keep me accountable. That's what I'm committed to do. And so over time, those little things add up 
and you will be able to form your opinion on that specialty that you're, that you're trying to pursue. And obviously, as you share, I want to be a terminal executive, CXO, CMO, then your dream team colleagues will be out there looking for opportunities for you. I call them the dream team because everybody in that team is really great. No, re re referring to the US Olympics team, right? The dream team, <laughs> all, all stars in that team. And, and we are, we are all stars in our own domains. We come together to help each other out. That's great. I can definitely recommend the turnarounds course I took it over the summer and it's been my favorite oh, class. Right? So you, oh, it's nice. incredible. I've got some books as well. Like it's just the best class. It was so good. <laughs> so many cases, a lot of work went into it, yeah. but my goodness, did you get a lot out of it? So I nice. couldn't recommend that uh, to you and everyone. It's just, yeah. if you're willing to put in the work, that's great. And then the second question, just actually taking a step back more about just the act of setting up a program like this. How do you, what advice do you have for students who have an idea about how to improve the student community or fill a gap that they see? Like what advice having done it and set something up, what advice do you have for them? It's definitely scary. I didn't know how people will react. It could be in a way taken as elitist and I'm glad it didn't happen that way. I'm putting myself out there because I see you need and really my heart is to serve. But you just, you never know how people are going to interpret it. So my encouragement is just to do with the right intentions and try and bring people along. So what's happened is I think applying for the VP CMG role is, has been great because it gave me affirmation that, yeah, th the need that I see is not just me, like other people see it as well. And that's great, seeking that affirmation. And then it's just a matter of do it and getting feedback from people in the um, channel. Hey, what, do you, what would you like to see? How can it be better? Actually setting up the channel itself was actually an idea from one of the people that identified uh, with me, right? One, one other person who is a controller and he wants to become CFO. And he said, oh, you should set up the Slack channel. Oh, okay. What's the, like the official way of doing it? Uh, there is no official way. Okay. I'm just going to set it up. <laughs> yeah. And then promote it. It's just, yeah, just Go on, but you keep going. Yeah, there's a there's something from the that I learned in the turnarounds course was we spoke to the person who was in charge or leading the team turning around Burger King. And he was like, I'd rather hire a team of A plus executors who have C plus ideas than A plus ideas and C plus execution. Because you think about Facebook, Instagram, yeah. like none of these companies started off as the original idea. They executed right. and then they learned. So just a little wisdom yeah. that I've, and you did, you went you on you and go. you went for it. I just, uh, <laughs> yeah. One of the things I'm thinking about right now is that is, is the legacy of it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think this need will ever subside. In fact, this need maybe is even, you know, stronger or more evident in the alumni community. So I want to make sure that this program survives and thrives. So thinking about training the next generation of leaders, getting some help from my peers to document the process, to improve the process so that it's not just me doing it. Right. If I'm not here in two years, three years, and like, it's going to just die. No, I think it's important that when you start a program, sure, like put all your energy into starting it, but also start thinking about how you make it into a legacy. Absolutely. I think that's critical thinking about your next steps and how you set it up. So it's not just 
you and that's almost talks back to your being the CEO and the delegation and all that stuff so it's a full circle moment so taking a step back from just we've talked about your career journey your career journey at Haas everything you've done it's very clear that you're a genuine person and you're very like direct and you say what you think which is great I wanted to bring this back to a quote that you said in this interview that I was um, reading through and we'll put it in the show notes so people can look at it but you said I encourage everyone to find their core values and their value to the work and the world and you've talked about values throughout this conversation. And I have a two-parter here and we can take it in turns. But one is, what are your core values that you care about? And then two, what advice do you have for people to help them find their own core values? Big questions, I know. But yeah. let's start with number one about your own core values. Yeah, so my core values, I actually have it documented because my core values were Legacy Advantage Hounds. It's the company that I started. And I wanted to live in integrity where my company values were my values and there's no distinction. And so the values that I have is communicate fearlessly, Mm -hmm. unleash potential, never settle, entrepreneurship, and we win and lose as a team, teamwork. And those, they're not, they're not just words and phrases to me. Like every single statement and phrase actually has a story behind it. Actually, many stories, because right. that's the way I live and that's the way our company operated. And so every day we have someone doing those things, right? So those are my values. And I think going back to how I came up with those or to your other question, I think before you have values, I think it's important to take a step back and actually try to define the vision that you have mm-hmm. for your life. So the way I talk to some of my friends and, and, and my kids is every single company has a vision mm-hmm. of what success looks like, of their ideal state. And every single company has a set of values. A company is made of individuals. And so why shouldn't, in fact, it's even more important for an individual to have a vision statement for their life mm-hmm. and thereby arrive at a sort of values that sort of enables them to achieve that vision. So for me, my vision is to be a godly man who loves his family and help others achieve success. So what that means is when I'm 80, 90, 110 years old, looking back, like, I, how is it, how do I know that I've lived, lived a fulfilling life? It's whether or not I've tried my best to live out that vision. Mm-hmm. You know, how it's defi- defined by how many people I've helped in my life, how many people I've enabled and made sure that they live up to their own potential. That is exciting for me. And so my values enable me to do that. So for those of you that are still exploring, you know, what do I want to do with my life and so on and so forth, maybe take a step back and and ask yourself, like when you're on your deathbed, what kind of life would you have lived such that you have no regrets at the end, right? And then work your way backwards and say, okay, in order to do that, this needs to happen and so on and so forth. And I need to create a set of values that allows me to I added a pause because I was thinking through. <laughs> I think I'm just letting everyone think that. What a way to end it. Like, you're on, I'm thinking Tyler Vap. No. <laughs> I, but I think that's a great way to end this conversation because I think it speaks to so many things and the way that you act with such clarity and just execute and get things done. So I'm super excited to see what the future holds for you. And when you're the in the C-suite of... 
an incredible company. I can always look back on my deathbed at this interview <laughs> and think of the conversation that we had. But I'm, I'm, I hope we'll have many more conversations before then. Uh, but Bob, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Adam. I really appreciate it. Of course. And thank you to you for tuning into here at Haas. Know a Haasie that has a story to tell? Nominate them on our website, haaspodcast.org. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. It really does help. And of course, share this episode with your favorite bears. Until next time, I'm Adam Ward, and this is Here at Haas.